Thank you so much for your prayers as uh, we just returned from Romania. We were supposed to come back Friday night, but because of a flight delay coming from Munich, we ended up spending the night in Chicago. One more night, um, which, you know, you just never know how things are going to plan out or work out, right? And the problem is, is that no matter what you're facing, there is this constant enemy called worry. And you know, worry sucks. I mean, it literally sucks the life right out of you. It sucks the vitality, the productivity, uh, the joy. It's a joy killer. Worry kills joy like none other, like none other's mother. So, we're going to look at what God's answer is for worry, and that is his peace. Do you know that there is a peace that the Lord alone gives that is unlike anything the world has to offer? Jesus said that. He said, peace, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I to you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. But that peace only comes first when we come to know God through Jesus Christ, and then secondly, having come to know him as we abide and live by the peace of God. And that's what we're going to look at here today as Paul continues in the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles or iPhones, however you do this, or Android, some of you Samaritans out there with Android. No, I'm just teasing. Okay. It's okay. Whatever you do, just get to Philippians chapter 4. Okay. Philippians chapter 4. Um, now, Paul, at the end of chapter 3, he was talking about the need for each of us to realize our citizenship. Not U.S. citizenship, although I must say I'm, I'm glad to be a U.S. citizen, okay? Despite our faults, to me, it's sort of like um, Noah's Ark. You know, it gets stinky sometimes, but it's still the best thing afloat, okay? That's sort of the way I look at it. But, but Paul was talking about the heavenly citizenship that we have, okay? And that is so important for us to keep in mind because this world is not our home. And we need to know what our destination is so that we don't get too caught up in the things going on in this world. We need to be aware of what's going on in this world. We need to pray about it and all that. But this is not our home. Our home is in eternity, and so Paul said, this is what you need to keep in mind and have that sort of heavenly mindset. But in the meantime, while we are on this world, we need to be able to function. We need to be able to function in a way that we do something, that we actually are productive in the things that God has called us to do because he's left us here for a reason, for a purpose. And part of that purpose is for us to enjoy the peace of God and be able to walk in the peace of God because there's a lot of chaos going on in the world. There's a lot of very anxious, very depressed, very upset people in the world. And one of the best billboards, I think, for Jesus Christ is when we walk in the peace and the joy of the Lord and we can show that to other people that yes, we do have a hope and it's beyond this life and you can have that too. So it's important for us to get uh, you know, hold of this. Okay, so Paul gives sort of a transitional verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord 
beloved. Stand fast in this way, he's saying. And notice here, he repeats the word beloved. Remember, Paul's in prison in Rome. He writes this letter because his heart is wrapped up with these people. He loves the Philippians. And because of that, that's why he was sharing all of these things. That's why he was exhorting them to stand fast. And I can understand that. Because, you know, the reason that we went to Romania was to be with our brothers and sisters in Romania whom we love. We love them. That's just the extended body of Christ that is throughout the world. And it is an amazing thing when you do travel to other countries and you meet other believers and you realize that we have so much in common because we have Jesus in common. The culture might be different. The food might be different. You know, there's a lot of differences. But what we have in common is Jesus Christ and our love for him. And this was the heart that Paul had. So I just wanted to share with you a little bit about our trip, okay? Because I know some of you are, oh, how did it go? How did it go? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go give you a whirlwind sort of tour of what we did. Now, why we went to Romania was because, you know, we had been doing a pastor's conference there every summer. We went and took a team in 2019, and our team took care of the youth and kids of the pastors and their wives so that they could be fed, and a lot of great relationships were built with some of the preacher's kids, you know, and, and that. But we have not been able to go back there because of COVID. So we really wanted to go and just um, minister to and encourage the pastors, their wives, their families. And I really believe that the Lord enabled us to do that. So we actually went, we saw people that we had not seen before. We went to cities we had not been to before. We actually went to a total of seven different cities while we were gone. And so uh, it was awesome. But the first thing, bring up these pictures, hopefully. Pictures. There. Okay. This is when we, Frank and I went together. This is when we first arrived in the airport in Bucharest. Next. And, of course, our pastors in Brashov uh, are Niku and Savannah Haju. And that's who we uh, were able, she puts on an amazing meal, by the way. Uh, and that's who we were able to meet there in Brashov. Next. And uh, so one of the first things that we did after, you know, saying hi to everybody in Brashov is we went to this city called Petrashan. And it's interesting because it actually happens to be the hometown of Nico and Savannah. It's where they met. But this uh, family has been there for quite some time. Now he, the guy on the right, um, Andre, uh, he was raised in an orphanage there in Petrochon. And um, while he, when he was about, a te- when he was a teenager, actually, um, the gal on the left came from um, Orange County, and uh, her name is Kelly, and she was on a mission trip, and, you know, she met the people at the orphanage, the kids there, and her job actually was to try to keep the other missionaries away from the orphan boys. Well, um, she ended up falling in love with one of the orphan boys <laughs> a little bit later, um, but, uh, but it's so interesting because he then, he got involved with the Calvary Chapel there in Petrochon, got saved, and began to be discipled, ultimately went back. He's now a pastor in an orphanage there in Petrochon. 
He also preaches weekly at a Roma sort of Pentecostal church um, that uh, Roma's gypsy, basically. Uh, and, and, uh, and God is just doing a marvelous work through this family. And uh, so anyway, that's them. So we got to visit them. Never had visited them before. Um, then we uh, were able to actually, you got a picture with their kids there. That's uh, how they look today. Frank and I were able then, in, also in Petrochon, was uh, a youth ministry. And there we have um, two people. Um, gives their name. Oh, Don and Christine. Okay, if we could get the next slide. This youth ministry in Petrochon that they do is called Connect. And what they do is, is basically they, they have a, a place there where they have other, they have youth from the city come and they just let them hang out, play games. But then they have like a Bible study weekly there. And there was probably about, I'm going to say probably about 12 youth there. We happened to show up when they were having their meeting. So they kind of got us involved with it. And, uh, and so that's what we saw there with them. And they're also, here, get this, okay? He is, he and his wife are from um, Calvary Chapel, um, Olympia, Washington. And so while he's there, I said, you went to Calvary Chapel, uh, Olympia, Washington? He goes, yeah. He goes, you're never going to believe this, but your former pastor is preaching for me in Boise right this week. (laughs) Chuck Lynn was his former pastor. So, go figure. Small world, right? Okay, uh, next. Um, this, then on Sunday, we went to, last Sunday, we uh, went to Brashov, um, and I spoke there, and one of the things we did was William, the guy in the center there, um, came from Calvary, Boise. He moved in 1997 to Romania and uh, has been to various cities um, but he ended up in Brashov and has been part of the ministry there since Nikon Savannah started like seven years ago. Um, we were able to pray and ordain him into the ministry. So that was just an awesome time. He's been a great uh, help for Nikon as far as teaching there at the church. Next. This is some of the people there that some of you that have been on a team before will recognize. Um, see, there's Jenny, Amelia, and her husband, Daniel, who's from Korea. Um, but that's part of the church in Brashov. Next. Uh, from there, that night, we traveled to Cluj, and we were able to visit Niku's daughter, Naomi, who lives there in Cluj. She put uh, a, a dinner on for us, and that was just so awesome to be able to see her. I hadn't seen her for a number of years. So we got to go to the Cluj. Then we went up to Bistrița. Now, that's up in the north part of Romania. And this is um, uh, Brian Fouts. And he's also from Calvary Boise. He's been there, gosh, for like 20 years, I think. Um, and, uh, and so that's the place where they're meeting there in Bistrița. And here's a picture of their family. Next one. That's all of them. And uh, along with us. And uh, my goodness, their kids are just like shooting up for sure. Um, but they have been there. Actually, that's where we first got started. I, uh, I met Niku in, uh, in Silvana back in 2003 there in Bistrița at that same house that they're at. Um, and they were part of a family center there where they were taking orphans um, and, and just giving them a home to live in. And uh, it was kind of after that that the, the Fouts moved there and have been uh, doing that work ever since. Uh, we also got to see another sort of after-school care 
for Roma kids that, that happens there in Bistritza with a gal from Texas who, uh, who uh, her name is Natalie. I don't have any pictures of that, but um, anyway, that was Bistritza. We then went back to Bradshaw, and we had an opportunity to go and see the Children's Hospital. Now, we, you know, some of you ladies will remember that Sarah Vienna came here and spoke to our women over the summer. Um, she runs an organization called Firm Foundation Romania. And primarily what they do is they look after kids that are taken to the hospital. Some of them are, um, they, they, don't, they don't call them orphans, but they're basically abandoned. Some of them are abandoned permanently. Some of them are just abandoned temporarily. Um, but there's a lot of kids there, and they take care of them. They hold the babies. They provide diapers. They, they do all this kind of stuff. So they also get a bunch of clothes donated to them from Germany. And what they end up being is a distribution point for, for the whole Romanian city of Brasov for their social workers. They have a great relationship with the social workers there. And so they are able to take these clothes from Germany and distribute them to needy people there in the city. So this is just some of the stuff where they had organized them by age groups, all of the clothing. Next, they have boxes everywhere. They have another 500, I think, boxes that are being shipped um, that they put them in banana crates because they can stack them. Um, and so that's all that they're doing there as far as getting those clothes to uh, a, lot, a lot of people, including the Roma children. And uh, we were able to go to the hospital. Now, I, I can't really show you pictures, really, except this one because the, the baby's face is away. But they, because, you know, they don't have um, any agreements for photos and stuff, they can't show pictures uh, on the social media. So, but this is just, you know, one that we're able to just spend some time with. They just hold the babies because prior to them coming, the babies would just be crying in the crib, have no sort of physical touch or anything. And so this is what they've been doing, but they haven't been able to bring teams for a while because of COVID. Um, if you want to see more pictures of that, I can show them to you privately. I've got them on my iPad. See me after the service. I just can't show it on show social media. Next. Okay. Um, I don't know if we can get audio or not. Maybe not. But they're singing a song here. And uh, right there, the person on the right is gray. Her name is Steffi. She's from Germany. And she works with Firm Foundation. She was the one that, that gave Frank and I the tour of all this. Uh, she has actually... Uh, adopted three Roma kids herself. She's a single mom uh, from, uh, well, just, she's just single, but she became an adopted mom to these three kids um, and just has an amazing heart for uh, the kids there in, at, in the Roma village. This is in the Roma village of Budila, which we've been to many times doing vacation Bible schools there in the past. Next. So they are building a facility. Right now they've been using that place you saw previously was the mayor's house. They've been using that. Could you show that one more time? I don't know if you can do it again. Back up and do it again. Anyway, this, this is the building that they're building. They build it out of connexes. And, uh, and then the, all of those steel beams will be uh, additional walls and so forth. And uh, they're raising about halfway done with their fundraising for that project. And then they will have a place where they can do this after-school program with this Roma village. Uh, there's about 6,000 gypsies in this village. And these kids, I mean, they are literally transforming their lives. 
um, as, as they're able to share the gospel with them and, and give them, because they sort of just fall through the cracks in the, in the system uh, there in Romania when it comes to the educational system. Okay. So then we went up to um, Bucharest, and this family, now this is amazing, because just to kind of show you how the Lord has been using us in that whole situation, I believe the Lord has been using us. When we did the... Um, pastor's conference there in 2019. Uh, one of the guys that was there who had been the, the, the former pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor in Bucharest, uh, confided in me saying that, you know, mainly due to health problems and other things, he was stepping down from being the pastor there. And my heart broke because I'd come to know many of these people from Bucharest and, and you know, they weren't going to have a church anymore, basically. Because there's really nobody there to take it on. And so, all I can say is that I had not experienced such a burden from the Holy Spirit like that since the Lord moved us here to Boise in, you know, 1994. I mean, I just felt so heavy about that because I just felt like this is a very strategic place that the Lord needs to have a presence here. Um, and and so we began to pray, and I and Niku and I were praying, and Niku and I and Niku started actually commuting every Sunday, the two and a half hours from Brashov to Bucharest, to to begin to just uh, meet with with the, the people that were still there, and you know teach them and so forth. But we knew that that was just a stopgap measure. Well, Niku ended up having this prayer zoom meeting with some other people and and he began to just share the heart for uh bucharest and that god would would raise up somebody to come and be a pastor there and this guy okay uh his name is jamie and his family andrea she's romanian he's he's from the states um they uh he felt the lord just speak to him right then that he was supposed to go back he'd been there before He'd been in, he had been, he'd actually been in Brashov as the pastor there many years ago, uh, had to go back to the States, and now the Lord was speaking to him to come back and go to Bucharest, and so he is now the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Bucharest, and just an awesome family, and uh, just got an amazing heart, an amazing testimony of the things that God has brought him through, and he has such a heart for the youth of Bucharest, Okay. So, I'm sorry, I'm taking a long time with this, but, you know, it's just passionate about it, okay? So, um, now, the other guy that he's working with is this guy that, you know, is darker complexion, okay, in the photograph, <laughs> okay? His name is Costi. This is his family. He's married to uh, an American. Her name is um, Elizabeth. And, uh, and he was... From the time he was a baby, he was in an orphanage, raised in the orphanage, and, um, and so he has a great heart for the youth. He is also, the Lord has given them this amazing facility there in Bucharest, and it was actually purchased by uh, Pastor Bill Walsh in Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach, many years ago. And they had just a tremendous story about how they almost lost it several times, but Somehow the Lord just sort of kept them having this building. Even though they had no pastor, they really weren't doing a whole lot with it. Uh, but now he is like bringing many of these orphan 
you know, guys that are now, they've, they've, they've aged out of the orphanage. They're now in their 20s, and they're wanting to be discipled. And so he started a, a youth ministry there that's happening in Bucharest, bringing even youth from other cities around the area. And he and Jamie are working together. And I am just so, I am just so overjoyed about what's happening there and what I believe the Lord is, is, is putting together there in Bucharest. When you walk the streets of Bucharest, of course, that's the biggest city in Romania, the youth are lost. I mean, they are just so lost. And so um, to see how God is using him with his heart for the orphans and the heart for the youth, um, we're just really excited. Next. Lastly, we went to the city of Bengalia, which is uh, in the sort of southeast part of Romania. It's on the Black Sea. Um, and so this family, this is, um, oh, the Faith and Chris, Chris and Faith, I think. Um, and they're, uh, yeah, Chris and Faith Anderson. Um, and they have had that work going there for quite some time. Again, a great family. They actually opened up a cafe where they um, meet people there and um, as well as uh, have youth group in their home. They've got a great home um, that they bring the youth together. But he's also uh, working as an assistant pastor in the local Baptist church there, uh, teaching them, you know, through the Bible whenever he is given opportunity. Next. This was sort of our goodbye picture as we head to the airport. And um, so anyway. I just wanted to share some of that to give you sort of the heart to show you just how the Lord used us while we were there. And wherever we went, we just said, look, how can we pray for you? We want to encourage you. You know, we know that we couldn't do a pastor's conference, but we wanted to sort of bring the pastor's conference to you. And, and I really do believe that we are able to encourage people. We are able to donate to like every ministry that you've seen here. Um, either we already are donating, no, donating to them in the case of uh, the, the Brashov and the Firm Foundations, or we were able to, to give funds to help these other ministries just to encourage them. And so you guys should be proud because the Lord has used this church to bless so many of these people there in Romania, and we're very hopeful for what God has in store for them in the future. Amen? So praise the Lord. Yeah, let's praise the Lord. God is working. And yeah, they've had the same sort of challenges with COVID as we have, but they're, they're powering through by God's grace. So it's exciting. Okay, well, back to the message uh, in Philippians. Now, Paul considered these Philippians, Philippians his joy and crown. And let's just face it. There's no greater joy than pouring into God's people. And that, that was Paul's heart. But they were also his crown, meaning that he knew that, you know, everything that he was doing had an eternal purpose, would be the basis for his reward. And I think that perhaps we don't really think about that that much. But the, the reality of it is, is that whatever you do for the Lord is going to form your reward in heaven. And so Paul said, look, you guys are. You are my joy, my crown. And when Paul would go around and establish these churches, he just saw it in terms, look, this, this is the joy of my life, but it's also, you know, what I'm going to be able to lay at the feet of Jesus in making disciples in these various cities. And so he said, uh, 
that, you know, he talked about this in 2 Timothy 4, 8, his last letter that he wrote to Timothy before, shortly before he died. He said, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Paul exhorted them to stand fast in the Lord. They faced the deception of Satan through false teaching, the weakness of their own flesh, as we all do, and the allurement of the world. And yet, if they were to overcome these enemies, then they needed to be able to stand their ground, which is what he said, stand ground, stand your ground. And as we shall see now in the next eight verses, Standing fast in the Lord would mean that they would walk according to the rule of peace. They would live according to God's peace in their life. And Paul would show them how to do that because that was how Paul lived his life. So he said in verse 2, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now what was happening is in, you know, the, the church of, of, of the Philippians was a great asset to Paul. But there was some divisions there was the division of the false teachers that had come in, but there was also a division among these two women. These two women who had co-labored with Paul, who for some reason had some falling out, and rather than working it out, it had, it had, it had festered. And, and it had created not only a conflict between the two of them, but also a division that was happening in the church itself. And so Paul said, look, and, he, and he, he talks to his, he says, I urge you, my true companion. Now, we don't know who this is. He's talking to somebody in the Philippian church, probably one of the brothers there, um, but the Philippians knew who he was talking about. We don't know who he was talking about. But he says, I urge you to help these women. Come alongside of them. You see, the problem is we, in the church, can be so polarized in a conflict, so entrenched in our position, so convinced that we are right, you know, and, 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 and the problem is that one or both of us don't really have the mind of Christ. We have our own mind, and we think our mind is right, and this is where conflicts come from. You know, James talks about it. He says, where do the conflicts come from? They come from your desires that wage it within you. You know, you want something, you can't have it. And so this, this conflict, so what hap can happen even in the church is that people get polarized, they get entrenched in these positions, and they need help to pull them out. And Paul said, help these ladies because they're my co-workers. Their names are written in the book of life along with Clement and others, we're all going to be hanging out in heaven together. So let's get this worked out now. Help them work it out. The problem is, is that because we, we're all susceptible to this, we're all vulnerable to this, but we need to labor together in the power of the Lord to be peacemakers. That does not just happen. 
Because what often happens, probably what happens the most, is people form opinions about people, and then they sort of just let a wall come up, and then maybe they'll talk about them behind their back, but they won't go through the effort of making peace, nor will they help others go through the effort of making peace, because they don't want to get involved. But that is a sure recipe for division in the church. And that's why Paul is saying, look, help these two ladies. I know they love the Lord. They need to agree in the Lord. That is, they need to both have the mind of Christ here. And they're, they're not able to do that right now. So help them. Help them. And, and that's what we're supposed to do. It says in Galatians 6.1, if you, any of you are caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, come alongside. Restore them gently, you know, so that they might continue in the peace of God, which is what Paul is really getting um, into here. Okay, verse 4. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is the second time in this letter Paul tells him to rejoice in the Lord. And he emphasizes it by saying, again, I will say rejoice. I mean, clearly, Paul felt that it was very important that the people continuously rejoice in the Lord. Now, let's face it. You, there are circumstances that come into life that are terrible. They just, they, they, they just depress you or they make you angry. And you can't always rejoice in the circumstances. But you can rejoice in the Lord. And, and, and Paul was rejoicing in the Lord even while he was held unjustly in prison. You know, he was still rejoicing in the Lord. So he's, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. And, and even Nehemiah, you know, found that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Paul is continually reminding them uh, to rejoice in the Lord because it is a vital component. And I think this is what we miss sometimes. Sometimes I think we think that, that, that rejoicing in the Lord is sort of optional. You know, you know, well, I can take it or leave it. You say, wait a minute. You don't realize that your joy in the Lord is one of the strongest weapons you have in spiritual warfare. If if Satan is throwing stuff at you and you still are like Paul and Silas, we're in the Philippian jail singing praises, singing psalms, you know, uh, and, and you face the situations with joy in the Lord, man, Satan... It, it's got to be nails on the chalkboard to Satan. You know? And it shows other people that, hey, nothing's, we're going to not be overcome by evil, but we're going to overcome evil with good by the joy of the Lord. Amen? So, it was important. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, if we are going to stand fast in the Lord, then it will only be as God's peace is ruling in our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. I call that the rule of God's peace. And it is the only way that we can be heavenly minded and yet still function effectively in this world. That rule of peace comes down to three things. If you want to live by God's peace in your life, you're going to need to do three things. And this is what Paul talks about. 
You're going to have to have right praying. You're going to have to have right thinking. And you're going to have to have right living or doing the right thing. And I credit Warren Worsby to this. I was brilliant. <laughs> I, I studied his commentary. It's like, oh, that's so good. Right praying, right thinking, right living. If you do that, you will walk by the peace of God in your life. And you will find that God's peace is sufficient to carry you through any trial you go through. Okay? And that's what Paul is basically saying here. Okay? Now he begins by saying, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about anything. Okay? That's what he's saying. The Greek word that's translated anxious means to be pulled in different directions. And Warren Wiersbe here says, our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us in, opposite, in the opposite direction. And we are pulled apart. Pulled apart by anxious thoughts. Pulled apart by worry. It's interesting that the old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle or to choke. And worry will choke your life. It will choke your vitality. It can lead to health problems and ulcers and heart attacks. It is the greatest thief of joy that there is. And get this, worry is a sin. <laughs> but pastor, that's my gift. I have the gift of worry. I have to worry for others because they don't worry for themselves. Jesus said, do not worry. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, why do you worry? You worry about your food or clothes or this or that. It's just like God takes care of the birds. They don't reap or sow, you know. Don't worry. God's got it covered. So... But it's not enough just to say, don't worry, okay? You know, like, don't worry, be happy. It's a cute little song. But it doesn't really help you when you're dealing with worry thoughts, okay? And which they choke you out. They choke you out. And so, so what is the solution then? Well, the solution is prayer. Prayer. We worry about stuff. But how often do we take those worries, those disturbances to our heart and turn them into prayer? That ought to be the very first thing we do. We should say, Lord, here's my concern. I'm bringing this to you. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your power. What do we do, Lord? You know? And there are many times when there will be silence. But that just means God is building your faith. You know, you cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Well, casting your care on him means that you don't take it back. You know, you don't reel it back in when God doesn't do something in the next 10 minutes. You trust him. Lord, I'm just waiting on you. And I know you got this. Just show me what to do when you want me to do something. Okay? And... Otherwise, I'm going to go fish. 
or play golf or basket weave or whatever it is you do. Uh, and you leave it with the Lord. Okay? That's not insanity. That is trusting God. You can't worry and have faith at the same time. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not saying you don't take responsible planning and all that. There's no problem with that. That's not worry. Worry is just this fruitless activity that we do in our minds that gives us ulcers, but it doesn't lead to anything productive. So, um, so turn that into prayer. Now, prayer, Paul says, you know, it, 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 be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray about everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let, let your request be known to God. Okay? So prayer is the general word here for making requests known to the Lord. It carries with it the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. Folks, wasn't that an awesome worship service we had this morning? I mean, when you just get your eyes off yourself, off the circumstances, and begin to adore and worship God. I, I just remember a song we used to sing back in the Jesus movement, right? Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you. You know, Spirit, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. That adoration of the Lord, you're so good. We worship him. And we need to do that. You know why? Because so oftentimes we come before God and we are so heavy laden with the problem that's all we see. We think we've got this humongous problem. And a little itty bitty God. <laughs> but quite the reverse is true. We've got a huge, majestic, wonderful, powerful, loving God who cares about you. And an itty bitty little problem. But you gotta, you got to magnify the Lord in your mind and in your heart and worship him and adore him. And, and that's where it starts. Too often we rush in before God and pour out our needs and desires without first taking time to revere and worship the one to whom we are speaking. And that's why one of the best means of prayer is to start with like Psalm 4610. Be still. Be still. Just flip it. Chill. Magical turn. Chill. Not be, be chill, you know? And know that I'm God. And I will be exalted. Listen, you know, I, I shared with it before Isaiah, when he has his vision of, of, of God, you know, things were a mess in, in Judah. People were backslidden. It was a mess. But, but Isaiah hears the, the, the cherubim saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. You know what? The earth is still filled with his glory. He hasn't changed. And so we, we begin to just, you know, I will be exalted among the nations, he said. I will be exalted in the earth. So be still. Hush. And know that I am God. That's where we start. In prayer. And secondly, supplication. That's the earnest, wholehearted sharing of our needs and problems. Listen, folks. I have been doing that with our dear sister, Jessica. 
I love that gal. I love Joshua. I love, I love this family, Juliana. And to see Joshua, Joshua's texting me the whole time. I was in North Carolina and then in, in, in Romania giving me updates. You know, when something grips your heart like that and you, you bring your request to God, you're not boring God. You can keep bringing it to him again and again and again. Jesus told us through the parable of the, of the widow before the unjust judge, the whole point was that we should pray and not faint, not give up. Keep praying. How long? Until the answer comes. God will either say yes, no, or wait. Keep praying. Seems like he always says keep praying to me for a long time. But eventually, it comes through. So that's supplication. And you do it for yourself. You do it for others. Make your requests known to God. It is the pattern that Jesus gave us. Hebrews 5, 7 says that while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of the deep reverence for God. Listen, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was crying out with tears and prayers and supplications. And if Jesus was doing that with all of his heart, you see... That kind of intense prayer is what the Lord responds to. Paul said we should pray about everything. The, the, the problem is we're prone to pray about the big things. And we forget to pray about the little things. Until the little things become big things and then suddenly we start praying about them. But better to just pray about everything. You know what? You're not going to bore your heavenly father. It's not like he's got too many more important things to do to be concerned about those things that are important to you. Look at if it's important to you, it's important to God. Pray about it. The only reason you wouldn't pray about it is that you really don't want to hear what God has to say. And that's a danger, danger, danger. Because you want to know what God has to say about it. Because God loves you. So pray about everything. Uh, and that is the way to overcome worry. If you give it all to the Lord and you pray about it and say, God, I don't know what to do here, but I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your guidance. But it's your deal, Lord. I'm giving it to you. You see, it's an instant solution for worry. And what happens is there's an exchange that takes place. You give God your cares. He gives you his peace. Amen? And finally, thanksgiving comes from the attitude of gratitude. That's the third thing Paul mentions here. You know, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Too often we are quick to ask, oh God, do this, do that. We give the Lord our laundry list of wants. But we're slow to appreciate what he's already done. And that's why the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Don't be like, you know, remember the, the, the 10 lepers that came to Jesus and Jesus healed all 10 and only one came back and thanked him? We need to, to take the time to, to appreciate the Lord, to give him thanks for the things that he has already done. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not give thanks for everything. 
You know, there are things that happen in life that we can't give God thanks for and, you know, and be real, okay? Your child dies. How do you give God thanks for that? You can't give thanks for that, but you can give God thanks in the midst of that. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything. There's still something that you can give God thanks for. Amen? Nothing else is like, well, Lord, I'm going to see him again. And if they die in Christ, praise the Lord. You know, there's a lot of problems they don't have to see. You know, I don't know, but there's no pat answers there. But you can still find things to give God thanks for in the midst of anything you go through in this life. And that's the point. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, you'll recall that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier and guarded day and night. Likewise, just like that. You know, it's always right there. This soldier couldn't do anything. But just like that, Paul says, look, if you will do these things, if you will pray rightly, then the peace of God will be with you always. It'll guard your heart, that is your emotions, and your mind, your thoughts, you see. It will stand as the guard over your heart and mind continually. The peace of God, okay? He says basically the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this is the amplified version, okay? But he says, let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ, one body, you were called to live. The idea here is that God's peace will be with you continuously to guide you, to comfort you, to settle your heart no matter what you're going through, if you let it. If you're praying about everything and you're, and you're, and you're focusing on the Lord and you're realizing that he's sovereign in every circumstance. Now, I don't always feel that, okay? I ain't perfect yet. And I wasn't real happy when I was looking forward to getting home to, you know, all I could think about, you know, that famous post-World War II photo in Life magazine where the soldier's like giving that woman a kiss, you know? You remember that. You've seen it. Um, famous photo. That's all I could think about. Getting my wife home, you know, coming home, giving her a kiss, being home with my wife, being home. Because I like to travel, but I like coming home. Okay. And then we get to Chicago, and because there was, understand, there was a delay in the flight from Munich. You know why? Two people had checked in their bags, but they did not check in at the gate. And under the FCC regulations or whoever, they had to get their bags off the plane because they could be explosives or something, you know. So that took like a half hour. Well, by the time all that happened, we end up missing our flight back to Boise. We're spending the night in Chicago. I was not happy. But you know what? That's where you have to just say, okay, Lord, you're in control. And it is a choice. You can choose to be upset. 
You can choose to be worried. You can choose to be fretful. Or you can just say, okay, Lord, you're in control. I'm going to trust you. Amen? And that's the practical side of this. It's a choice. And I did choose that. I just chose, and, and I text Cindy, and she was really gracious about it. She said, don't worry about it. You know, those things happen. And, you know, so it was just me. I was the one that was upset. But that's where we just say, okay, Lord, you're in control. Let your peace rule my heart and keep me from freaking out, you know. And because it's not a big deal to freak out. But those are the things you freak out about sometimes. And usually they're not that big of a deal in retrospect. But at the time, you see, you know, you can like say things you're going to regret and all kinds of stuff. Or you can let the peace of God rule your heart. Amen? All right. Now, in addition to write, gosh, I got to do some speed preaching here. We're running out of time. In addition to right praying, if we're to be ruled by peace, then we must have right thinking. And that's the next verse here. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, this is a wonderful verse that people love to quote and think about and all, but let's just face it, it's hard to do. Because our flesh wants to do exactly the opposite. If there's anything that bums you out, if there's anything that messes up with your comfort zone, anything that's a disturbance, anything you don't like, think on those things, right? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. That's our go-to, you know? I mean, if I say, hey, I got good news and bad news. What's the bad news, right? You know, give it to me straight. It's like, that's the way we are. So this takes real effort to, and takes Holy Spirit inspiration to find these things in situations, you know? And that's what Paul is saying. Look, if you're going to flush your mind from the stinking thinking... You've got to meditate on these things that are good. What does he say? True and noble, as opposed to false and dubious reports. Think on those things that you know are true. Now, if we meditate on our feelings, get this, you say, well, this is what I feel. Okay, but the problem is if you meditate on your feelings, your feelings will never change the truth. But if you meditate on the truth, knowing the truth will change the way you feel. See? So you can't meditate on your feelings. You've got to meditate on the truth. And that's why it's essential to be daily in the Word of God. Because that's 100% absolute truth. And if you meditate on that, then it will change the way you feel. We meditate on those things that are noble, honorable, or worthy of respect. Not on the dirt. Not on the stuff you don't like in somebody. But what's noble? What's worthy of respect? Think on those things, right? Whatever is just and pure. What's just, righteous, or proper? And how can we know those things unless we are in the word? Because that tells us. It shows us God's character. It shows us what he considers to be righteous. 
Also those things that are pure. Now since sexual immorality was and still is such a problem, Paul was probably referring here to moral purity. Whatever things are pure. You know, don't, don't engage in the dirty stuff, okay? Don't set your mind in that, in the gutter. Dwell on what is pure. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So don't go near there, okay? Then he says, lovely, whatever is lovely and of good report. If we think about things that are lovely, then we are more likely to point those things out to others. A beautiful sunset, okay? Hey, check this out. Look at that. Isn't that gorgeous? You know, think about those things that are lovely. A child's smile. Think on those. There's a lot of lovely things even in this world, okay? There's a lot of ugliness in the world, but there's a lot of loveliness. So think on those things. What is lovely? Um, and what is of good report? If we are thinking about what is of good report, then we'll talk about those good reports to others, and that will build up others. That's the way we build up the body of Christ. Hey, I love what you did. Hey, thank you for blessing me. Hey, thank you for coming. That's what we heard when we were in Romania. Thank you guys for coming. It, it, it meant so much to us to spend time with you. And, and that sort of affirmation is the way that we build one another up in the body of Christ. So think on those good reports and talk about them. Affirm one another. Build one another up. Praise one another. Give thanks to one another. Uh, that's the way that, you know, you, you, you will keep your mind away, off those things that are going to drag you down. Finally, if we think on virtue, uh, it says whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. If we think on virtue, it will motivate us to do better. If we think on praise, then, then that is worthy t in commending uh, to others. The bottom line. The mind is a wonderful gift and a terrible thing to waste. And how we occupy our mind, what thoughts we choose to entertain in our mind, are going to determine, you know, our course, our destiny, our character. So watch over your heart with all diligence, is what Solomon said. And Paul is basically saying the same thing, you know, dwell on these things that are good. Lastly, if we're going to be ruled by peace, then we must practice right living. We must do the right thing. Philippians 4.9 says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So he said, look, you've learned this from me. You've seen it in me. So now do it. Follow my example. Live according to the pattern you've received. And guess what? The God of peace will be with you. See, it's not, you know, we say it's not rocket science. I, you know, someday I'd like to actually sit down and talk to a rocket scientist. Okay, no, but. But the reality of it is, 
If you do what God tells you to do in his word, then he will be with you. He's a God of peace. He will give you his peace. He will give you wisdom. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll work all things together for good in your life. Yes, you may have trials. Yes, you may be persecuted. Yes, you may be suffering. But he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll be by your side. He'll be giving you the peace. And even in the midst of great conflict, okay, look at Jesus, the conflict that he got into with the Pharisees. Look what he what he had to face. He got in their face about things. But you know what? He still had the peace of God in his heart. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, he said, it says, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Christian, do you know the Lord's perfect peace in your life? Is his peace ruling your heart and your mind? Is it the thing that you count on every day, Lord, your peace? Your peace. I need your peace. I need your grace. You know, it, are you functioning in that? Because if you are, I guarantee God's going to use you. Not only that. But the peace of God is a great barometer. You see, if we are really, as Isaiah said, if our minds are stayed on the Lord, if we are trusting in him with all of our hearts, not leaning on our own understanding, in all of our ways acknowledging him, he will direct our paths, but he'll also give us his peace. And one of the ways that we know that we have sinned is when that peace gets disturbed. That's called the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so you know, you know if you lose your temper. You know if you like say something a little bit snarky or whatever, you know, and you're just like, oh, you know. And if you're sensitive to other people, you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you'll realize that, ah, Lord, forgive me. I know I, I just... I just lost your peace ruling my heart for that snarky remark that I had to make. You know? And if you'll be sensitive to the peace of God that's in you already by the Holy Spirit, then that'll show you when you need to repent. When you need to confess your sin. When you need to go to that person and say, you know what? I don't know why I said that. It was a stupid thing to say. Please forgive me. And you know what? The peace of Christ will be restored. You see? And that's the kind of relationship the Lord wants to have with you. Where you're walking in his peace. God can use you. And, and, and he goes before you. And it's exciting. It's joyful. It's a joy to walk in the peace of God. So remember, right praying, right thinking, right living equals the peace of God. Rule in your heart. Amen? And if you have yet to discover the peace with God, okay, understand, when we come to Jesus Christ, when we say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need your salvation, and I, I accept you, I believe in you, forgive me of my sins, 
That gives us peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God, but now we are his adopted children. Our names are written in heaven. That's the peace with God. And if you have not yet experienced the peace with God, that's the first step. But after you've accepted the Lord and you have peace with God, then this is the way to, to maintain the peace of God. In your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We do thank you that you are the God of peace. And Lord, thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world. You didn't have to do it. You did it because you loved us. And you came. You laid your life down for us. You went to the cross. You paid the price in full so that we could have peace with God by believing in you. Lord, and I just pray that if there's anybody here today or watching online that has not yet experienced the peace of God that comes with knowing that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, I pray that today they would just simply say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life, forgive me, and make me your child, and bring to me your peace. We thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, that people would simply say that today and mean it in their hearts, and that you would come today, and that they would be born again, born of the Spirit. And Father, I pray for, for any of us here today, Lord, that we do struggle with worry. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with the things we see going on in the world, the, 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 the disturbers of the peace that are happening all around us. Lord, I just pray that through prayer, through right thinking, and Lord, through right living, choosing to do those things that we know are pleasing to you, God, that, that your peace would settle in our hearts and strengthen us to live for you in this world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.